Welcome back to Blazing Trails. I'm your host, Michael Revo from Salesforce Studios. Today, we are going to continue our August showcase of shows from our Salesforce podcast network. I am so excited to share the Salesforce-sponsored show, Up Next in Commerce. And I've got my good friend, Stephanie Postles, creator of the show and CEO of Mission.org, the studio that created Up Next in Commerce, here to tell us about it. Welcome to the show, Stephanie. Hey, hey. Great to be here. Welcome, Stephanie. Tell us a little bit more about Up Next in Commerce. Yeah. So Up Next in Commerce is, of course, all about the world of e-commerce and commerce. What's happening now, where things are headed for e-commerce, omni-channel, and retail alike. So far, we've had over 100 episodes, and we're about to be closing in on half a million downloads on this show, which is awesome because it's pretty new still. So on the show, I get to talk to big businesses like NBC and Shake Shack about their pivots to digital. And we also get to dive deep in the weeds with some digitally native companies like Bombas, Helix Sleep, and so many more. So it's always a fun conversation filled with stories and an inside look at how the most successful companies in the world are upping their commerce game. Plus, how many of them, like big and small companies, are actually struggling with some of the very same issues, which we get to dive into and learn from. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so Shake Shack and Bombas, two of my absolute favorite brands. Thought you'd like that. I, I love the Bombas socks. I don't mm-hmm. know. I mean, I'm, they're not they're not paying for anything on this episode, but the socks are awesome. And then, of course, Shake Shack. So, yes, a little delivery Shake Shack with some Bombas on. And, yeah, and, there you and go. We're all set. New partnership yes. model right there. I'll let them know. <laughs> yes, Shake Shack and Bombas. I like it. I like mm-hmm. it. So, Stephanie, you talked to a lot of interesting people on the show, and we're going to hear a great conversation with Stephanie Yee. She's the VP of Data Science at Stitch Fix. It's a fascinating company. What are some key takeaways from the conversation? Yeah, so this is actually one of my all-time favorite episodes because Stephanie and I, well, first, her name's Stephanie. Mm-hmm. So, and second, we got to go really deep into the technology behind Stitch Fix. And we even got to dive into GPT-3, which is one of the most advanced language models to date. And it's making it truly possible to personalize the online shopping experience. She has a lot of background there. She was telling me a bit about how they were thinking about it and how right now, there's all this language data around us and it's really hard to consume it and ingest it and actually do something with it. And they're testing out right now GPT-3 to see you know, how to ingest that data and actually give responses, whether it's people coming in with questions, everyone asks questions in a different way. And she was telling me a bit about how their team was thinking about that and how hard the problem actually is. So very, very smart, deep in the data world and just had a lot of good insights around how to think about you know, building up a data team to solve these problems. Wonderful. Well, let's take a listen to your conversation with Stephanie Yee, VP of Data Science at Stitch Fix. Welcome back to Up Next in Commerce. This is your host, Stephanie Postles, co-founder of Mission.org. Today on the show, we have Stephanie Yee, the VP of Data Science at Stitch Fix. Stephanie, welcome. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Me too. I know it's going to be a good interview when there's two Stephanies, but I'm slightly worried about how the transcript will look. <laughs> like, who's saying what? Who sounds smart? I'll just take all your quotes and pretend they're mine. Perfect. So tell me a little bit, how long have you been at Stitch Fix for? So I've been at Stitch Fix for almost four years. Um, yeah, four years in January. Well, tell me a little bit, what does the role of the VP of Data Science look like day to day? Yeah. So um, I think if I have to think about it, being the VP of data science, it really comes down to maximizing the value that um, the that data science itself and the team can bring to the company. Um, mm-hmm. So like, how do we how do we really get the full promise of sort of an algorithm's approach to things? 
Um, I think as you guys know, um, as you guys probably know, Stitch Fix is really thinking about how do we um, help people find what they love and how do we use data science and human expertise to, to do that. So um, the types of things that I think about in that in service of that are things like what are new opportunities that we haven't really discovered yet? Um, and that's been pretty exciting over the last four years. I think another um, area that I think about a lot is like, what's the right almost interface between data science and data scientists and the business partners. Um, so this is if we have uh, data scientists working with the design team or the product team or the marketing team or, or even executives, um, mm -hmm. what's the place where data scientists can contribute the most? And also like just being really intellectually honest, like what's the place where um, uh, it makes sense for others to, to take over? Um, and then obviously the last part of my job is to really uh, create an environment where the team can be motivated and, and fulfilled and, and doing things that bring out the best in each of them. That's great. So it would be great to dive a bit more into Stitch Fix. I mean, I know what it is because I'm a customer, but I think a lot of people may not know exactly what it is or all the things that go on behind the scenes to, you know, get the pretty box on your door. So could you explain kind of what it looks like? What is Stitch, Stitch Fix from a high level for anyone who doesn't know? And then what goes on behind the scenes to create the company that it is? Yeah, so Stitch Fix is a uh, personal styling company. And at the core, we use both data science and uh, real stylists and, and their expertise to help people find what they love. So if you think about sort of unpacking that, it's really about understanding, um, or from a data science perspective, it's really about understanding a client's needs and as well as being able to set the stylist up for success. So that's 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 probably the the core of Stitch Fix. The way that it shows up is in um, sort of a, a box of of one or more items, and and, and clients are able to try it on. Um, they're able to send back what they what they don't like, and really just keep what they really love. That's great. And tell me, how do you go about making sure that you give the customer the exact outfit they would like, or refine that process to where maybe the second or third time you've nailed it? Because for me, at least when I am getting the outfits, I'm like the first time, eh, maybe like one thing was off or something. Yeah. But then after that, it's like, okay, now this stylist knows me or this algorithm knows me. So like, yeah. how do you refine that behind the scenes? Yeah, I think that that's a great question. So I think a lot of it, I mean, as a data scientist, right? Like I always think about the data that we we collect and and what's available. Um, and this, this comes both from what clients um, tell us as well as what we're able to infer. Uh, a really interesting example of this, and this is where uh, you had mentioned like, okay, there might be one item off at first, you know, like, eh, and the algorithm really learns over time. We really think about things in terms of the ability to say like, okay, what data do we have now? Um, and with the stylist, like the stylist is incredibly important uh, throughout, the, throughout the client's life cycle with the stylist, like what's the right thing to be sending right now? And in response to feedback, right? Like, oh, that item that didn't really work out for whatever reason, um, we're able to, to respond to that. Um, I think a really interesting example of the of, of the approach that Stitch Fix takes, or rather one of the interesting things about Stitch Fix is that we're thinking about this um, and we're thinking about a, a, a purchase experience in terms of um, soft goods, right? So if you think about the way that e-commerce really started off, or at least as I recollect it, it was like comparison shopping sites where you were looking at like how many megapixels do you want in your digital camera? Mm -hmm. And um, a camera, like those are very easy to compare, right? Because it's like, oh, like it is three or it is four. Um, whereas yeah. with what I think of as soft goods, there's so many different variants on on sort of like a, a, a V-neck, like a V-neck top, right? That it's almost a little bit overwhelming. And then on top of that, a lot of the a typical searching and filtering is not, is not really going to get people there. 
right? Just because like what might be a great top, like even if it's the same aesthetic, right? Like what may, might be a great top for you might be diff- might be might be not as great for me or or vice versa, just because it's like, oh, you know what? I really need things that are um, sort of machine washable or like I have very narrow shoulders or something like that. So Stitch Fix is really trying to distill a lot of these things that are ultimately very difficult to categorize into, into what we would call a latent space. But um, really to say like, okay, we, ha- we have something like style, right? Like style is not sort of what lunch table did you sit at in high school? It's really a form of self-expression. And because people are so different, like we need to be able to use data science, right? To quantify like where people are on a spectrum, whereas versus what category they're in. That's great. I mean, how do you even encourage people to get, give you the feedback that matters? Because I'm, I'm even thinking like, if I were to get a shirt and I'd be like, yeah. well, it doesn't fit. And I know you're probably behind the scenes like, well, why? Like what part doesn't fit? Yeah. What don't you like? Like, how do you encourage someone to tell you what you need to know to then send them something better? Yeah, that's a great question. So what we found, I think that the the motivation to give us feedback is actually just an inherent part of the service. Like, I think a lot of mm-hmm. people though, like when I've styled people and maybe I've, I've missed the mark, right? People will say, oh, you know what? You didn't get it right the first time, but like, here's what I was, here's, here's more what I was looking for. Like, if you think about it as a relationship, right? It's not a transaction where you walk into the store and you say like, I'm happy or I'm sad. It's relationships you, so, and relationships are predicated on that back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a, it's, it's really a phenomenal, um, percentage of clients that leave, leave feedback on a fix. It's, it's something like 85%. Wow, um, and, and it's it's just like an intrinsic part of the of, of the relationship, just because we do frame it as a relationship. Yeah, I think having that stylist there really is what forms like a human connection. Where you're like, well, this is of course there's a bunch of you know machine learning and algorithms behind the scene, but there's a face here, a human who's actually you know approving this style and making sure it's perfect for me. And you instantly feel that connection, and you don't want to let your stylist down. So I think that's a exactly. really important part to get that feedback. Exactly, exactly. And similarly, the stylist doesn't want to let the client down. So there's that level of of trust that gets established. Um, mm-hmm. And from there, I think a lot of the a lot of the desire to say like, hey, like this, like this, this had a fit issue for me because it was too long or something like that. Um, like there's just there's just something that's special there um, inherently. Um, and yeah. then on top of that, we obviously do like encourage, encourage clients to give us feedback. Like we'll give them a nudge, but um, we, we're certainly not the type of company that has to like, I rather they'll, they'll come to us rather than us having to, to really force the issue, we'll say. Yep. What are some of these subtle nudges that you give that aren't annoying, but then encourage the person, you mm-hmm. know, to give you the information you need to help them? Because I think a lot of brands struggle with that where they either don't Mm -hmm. follow up at all sometimes if they want feedback or they Mm -hmm. do it too much and you're like, whoa, chill. So like, how do you guys get that right uh, blend? Yeah, no, I think, I think that there's, so I think that there's two parts to that, right? So one is saying like, are we, what, what's the right number of times to be asking or to be reminding really? Cause it's less, it's less around asking. It's just more like, Hey, like um, if you want, you can leave feedback and and there's someone on the other end who's going to be really thinking about it and and, um, responding to it. Um, so I think it's figuring out like, what's the right time to tell people? And it's really like, when would this be relevant to someone? I think that there's some other aspects where it's like, what's the right time of of, of day to reach out to someone? And all of these can be distilled down into, into data science problem or data science um, opportunities. I, I really find that to be really interesting. I think that there's another aspect, which is that the clients do um, come back to the, come back to the app and come back to the site, even without looking to transact. Right. Mm-hmm. So once they're there, then it's possible to be like, oh, by the way, like, did you want to like just making it really easy and lowering friction to giving feedback? Like that's another way that we're able to uh, implicitly encourage it. Yep. So with all this feedback coming in, 
It's a lot of natural language that you're probably getting. Are, is there any tech that you're excited about right now to help you categorize it? Like, are you looking into, you know, GPT-3 or anything new to see if it could help solve that problem when people are just giving you like probably long paragraphs of like, here's a, you know, the things that aren't working for me. And they're just putting in like terms that you're like, okay, I can't actually build any database out of this. Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting because I think some of the unstructured, unstructured text or, or, or data generally that might be um, I would say overwhelming to to uh, to someone like you or you or I. Um, yep. Computers are actually quite quite good at processing it. So I think um, GPT three is is a really incredible uh, sort of advance in in the way that we're thinking about um, or the, the opportunities that come from natural language processing. So I think the team is is really actively thinking about like what's the right way to to bring that into the into the client experience. We certainly mm-hmm. want our stylists to sort of continue to be proactive in like a central part of that relationship. And we're actually trying to figure out like, okay, how can we actually bring the stylist forward even more? Mm-hmm. But I think, I think the way that I would look at it is, is I actually love it when there's um, sort of a, a large, a large corpus of data, we'll say, just because there's, there's quite a bit of things that one can infer or, or pull out of that, that would be otherwise a rather arduous task for a person like you or I. That's great. So earlier you're saying that the team is looking at how to maybe utilize GPT-3. Is there anything, and it can be for the overall industry, not just Stitch Fix too. Is there mm-hmm. anything where you're like, I could see this really impacting e-commerce in this mm-hmm. way? Because that's the one area that I've been trying to look into of like, I can see all the things that you can do with it from mm-hmm. like not having to code things and, you know, it writing books and stuff, but like, how could it actually impact e-commerce or data science or, yeah. you know, the behind the scenes? Yeah, I think that's a great question. So I would, I would say that, um, like GPT-3 is a, is a really great way to translate information into the format that people are used are used to absorbing information in, right? Which is which is text, mm-hmm. and I think that it's especially important, right? Going back to the like, you can't take a shirt, like the, the the specs of a shirt are not particularly helpful to 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 a shopper, right? Mm-hmm. They can be helpful to a computer, but they're it's like okay, the the sleeve is thirteen and a half inches, like who cares, <laughs> right? Yeah. And GPT three is able to to um, like almost at in a way, in a way that would have been incredibly difficult before, it's able to say it's able to translate some aspects of an item into like what that actually means in someone's someone's everyday life. So it's not like, hey, we could show you a table of information where it says here's the sleeve length, right? But it can be more like, oh, you know what? Like this shirt is going to sort of hit at your elbow, and it's actually going to drape a little bit, right? And yep. because there's so much clothing out there and it's all slightly different in its own way, even if it's sort of, once again, the same aesthetic, same color, everything, we're able to do that. We're able to bring that to the fore for, for a massive amount of, of inventory. Um, so that mm-hmm. I think gets me really excited. I think another, another thing um, that's really promising about something like GPT-3 is it will let us, um, it'll really let us customize an experience to a client yep. um, in using, using a format and, and move beyond like tables of data into uh, information that might be more relevant or easier to absorb. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I mean, that that takes it to a whole new level. I think about right now when I'm shopping around and it shows, okay, there's this model and she's five foot nine and, mm-hmm. you know, 135 or whatever it is. I'm like, oh, okay, I could see maybe how something would fit if that's like a similar person to me. Right. But that takes it to a whole new level and saying, all right, Stephanie, like, you know, this is going to be baggy at your elbows and it's going to yeah. be very short on your waist and just yeah. putting it in like a contextual term where I'm like, oh, yeah, the tricks, you all know me. Thanks for yeah. letting me know. Yeah. And if, if you think about like, if you think about um, style and aesthetic, like there's almost something like there's, I mean, style is a form of self-expression and, and describing, describing style in terms of only numbers is, is quite limiting. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so it's almost like 
like if you, if you look at the way that people will describe clothing and it's always really interesting to, to say like, okay, fashion week happened, like what are they saying about what's being shown? Um, it almost becomes poetic in that level of abstraction. And I think that that's something that that language is, is much better at doing or images even are, are much better at doing than, than just numbers and text. So the one thing I was just thinking about, I mean, you guys have all these models running and algorithms behind the scenes and you have a really large amount of data. How have your models changed? I mean, I'm thinking about like pre-COVID models, you, all the data was probably around work and, you know, work clothes and I want to look nice and heels. And then now it seems like all those models probably had a big shakeup because now it's, you know, I want athleisure and I want sweatpants and comfy hoodies. Like how have your guys' models changed and what are you doing to, you know, adjust them or what should brands be thinking about with adjusting their historical models that are probably wrong? Yeah, I think, I think that's a great question. It was, it was funny actually. In in April, one of the data scientists posted in Slack and he was like, oh my gosh, like, like all of the experiments that we're running, we're just gonna have to start over. Right. Yeah. And he was, I think, I think that there was like a little bit, um, there was a lot of stress behind that, that, that mm-hmm. statement. And obviously we're not starting over, but we're starting from a place where, you know, the data has changed. And the really wonderful thing about, about an algorithm, right, and about um, being able to really take advantage of technology is that they can adapt much, much faster than a person, right? Like mm-hmm. if we only had the stylists, um, the styling team, like it can take a little bit of time to figure out like how do we get to the, like how, how do we, like if we're, if we're learning something about like COVID trends, right, like how do you train a, a, a team of thousands of people to, to sort of be on top of everything that is that is there, in addition, right, to letting them style each client individually. Um, so what's really wonderful, and, and COVID was a fascinating situation, right? Because it's like, okay, all of the, like there was a, there's a tremendous amount of work that had to be done to say like, okay, like given a, a, a pretty big step change in the way that, but both like the world writ large, as well as the way that people are thinking about shopping and shopping online, like how do we adapt things to that? So there was, um, there, there was quite a bit of work to, to do that across the board. And then on top of that, it was it was easier than it would have been if we hadn't taken a data science approach, just because so much of the the models are designed to change, right? Mm-hmm. Like we 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 update all of our algorithms. I mean, some of our algorithms it'll be like, okay, this is just going to be updated every week, just because it needs to be. Yep. And a lot of it, right? We're sitting there and we're saying, like, what are what are people at? like? Well, we'll have conviction in where we think that the market is going, right? Mm-hmm. So like with COVID, it was it was like, okay, you know what? Everyone has, uh, everyone can anticipate, like, if people have to stay at home, then they'll have to work from home and maybe they won't feel a need for um, as formal clothes as, as they normally would. But what was interesting, and this is from a, just from how things unfolded from a data science perspective, we actually had um, one of our data scientists was a um, former epidemiologist. Oh, so when we were trying to figure out, like, oh gosh, the world has changed, like, how much merchandise should we buy a year from now? She was actually able to contextualize a lot of the news. So as a, as a company, we were able to come to a what ended up being a pretty reasonable, um, I would say, assumption about the world. And then to go forward and say, like, OK, overall, how much should we buy? Right. And then within that, it's like, OK, what is well, how are consumer tastes going to change? And like we can we can lock down that merchandise. Right. And I think the merch team did a really great job um, responding to that. And then we can um, sort of within that, we can make sure that the clients who are looking for working from home clothing versus versus something else, like they can actually get it. So, I mean, I think in, in terms of general trends, there's been, a, a, I think it's like a 10X increase in requests for working from home clothing, mm-hmm. definitely a shift out of formal workwear and into more like casual and everyday styles. I think there was, uh, uh, I think athleisure, right? Those purchases have accelerated quite a bit. 
And it's with Stitch Fix, because we sell like actual items, like the merch team had to do a tremendous amount of, of, of work to really anticipate that, right? And then the styling team is able to make sure that those items get to the right people, right? Because if suddenly we just sent, we, we started to only send out leggings, right? Like yep. that's not that's not really going to work for, for, for many of our clients. We just need to make sure that the people who are looking for athleisure can get it. Yeah, that's so smart having someone who kind of understands that industry. I feel like there's more room for brands to partner with industry experts like that to help them build their models. Because mm-hmm. oftentimes it seems like, I mean, everyone is so focused on just, you know, this is our company model. Only the executives of the, at the company can figure out what the future looks like. Mm-hmm. But by tapping into someone who has very different experience, but understands maybe what's happening, like it seems very smart. Yeah. I mean, I think one of my, like one of the things that I find to be really fascinating and amazing about Stitch Fix is the way that the executives, like for executive decisions are able to take advantage of the data science capabilities that we've built. And you almost get to this, like, like the core question here, and this is almost, it gets like existential, right? Like is how do you, how do you handle uncertainty? Right. For me, I'm like, okay, this is why I want an executive with like 20 or 30 years of of, of prior experience. Cause some of these questions are genuinely hard. Mm -hmm. I want to arm them. Right. Like given the data available, like the, the, the task of a statistician is to really squeeze out as much information as possible Mm -hmm. and to say like, okay, guys, here's what we can know. Here's what we can't know. And the part that we can't know uh, to the extent that it's, it's incredibly important to have a decision or a point of view on that, like that is truly human judgment. So the executive version of that, I find to be really interesting. And, and there's, there's many versions of that throughout the company with, with the stylists, with, with the product team, with the marketing team, um, with the merchandising team, everyone. That's great. So when thinking about, you know, updating the models and mm-hmm. the algorithms, would you suggest that a company rebuild from scratch or should they update a current model to kind of pivot a bit? Because I guess when I think about updating a current model, I worry that there's so many things built into it after mm-hmm. the fact and the mm-hmm. algorithm just kind of runs away on its own and people are like, yeah. I don't really know what's driving it anymore versus starting over again. Yeah, I think I think that that's a great question. Like I think that there, so, so there's a couple of different aspects to it, right? So generally we'll think, okay, because uh, a model is really is really expertise in how to use data. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you find a model that that seems to fit the world very well, then you will want to continue to improve it. But if like the, the fundamental like it's like if, if fundamentally the world responds quite well to to a random forest. Right. Or mm-hmm. we, we get we get very good predictions out of a random forest. Then like there's no need to 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 change it just because just just because. Right. But there's there's opportunity to improve on that. Now, with that said, like as the industry is coming up with, as, as research is, is sort of like continuing on different methods, like people are going to try different methods. But I would say that you definitely want a mix of both because um, it's both the, the, the method and the tuning of that. Like it's both the type of model that people will think about as well as the, the tuning of that model or adding new variables to the model or, or something like that, that, that we want to do. So to give you a, a concrete example, like with, with COVID, right, we have a, we have a demand forecast. So the demand forecast is really modeling client behavior, and it's really being able to give the merchandise team and, and the executives and the operation, the operating partners um, visibility into like, okay, what's life going to be like a year from now? And like, how should we plan? Right. Yep. And we didn't have to, like when, when COVID happened, right? Everyone's like, oh my gosh, the world is very different. But what was great was we were able to say, okay, here's some assumptions that we have. We can update those assumptions. But We've got sort of several years of work into this, in, into the into the the capability itself, and like the great news is that we don't need to start from scratch because things have been built in a way that can adapt. 
That's very smart. So when thinking through your demand forecast, are you guys forecasting that the world will eventually return back to pre-COVID or do you think it's a new normal and now with, you know, people are going to continue working at home indefinitely and like keeping it adjusted? Like, how are you guys forecasting the future of apparel? Yeah, I think I think that's a great question. And I would say that um, there's certainly things that are sort of very large shifts. Right. And there are other things that are that are just probably going to stay the same. Um, mm-hmm. So I would say that it's it's a blend of the two. Like I certainly don't think, or, and I certainly hope that we're not going to be working from home forever. Yes, um, I hope hope not. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And like with the with with the vaccine coming out and and just how effective these seem these these the vaccine seems to be. Like I I, I think that we will be returning to like we're going to. There, there's some things that are going to sort of fall back into place. There's some things that frankly have already fallen back into place. Um, and then there are other things that we I think the company is really leaning in to take advantage of. So definitely a mix. Yeah. Yep. I agree. Have you seen any different types of consumer buying behaviors around what consumers are expecting now that more people are at home, they have more time to try things on? Like, have you had to kind of adjust how you interact or, you know, work with your consumers during this time that was maybe different than COVID or pre-COVID? Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, I think, as I mentioned, there's definitely a, a, a difference in what it is that people are are looking to buy. Um, I think another thing that has been really exciting is that I know a lot of quite a few new shoppers, right? People who have never bought anything online before. Suddenly they're like, oh, shoot, all the stores are are closed. I now have to try this new channel. So we're seeing um, sort of people who have who have never who aren't even used to sort of a, a, a traditional way of shopping, buying things. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that that's been that's been really interesting because um, that 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 behavior can be, can, as you can imagine, can be can be quite different. Um, yep. So it's it's great that the business is able to respond to that. And yep, it seems like there's a whole new demographic market mm-hmm. that is opening up now that a lot of e-commerce companies are going to be able to have a lot of opportunities with. I mean, mm-hmm. even thinking about Stitch Fix, my mother-in-law, who's almost 70, mm-hmm. one day came back and told me she, I mean, I had never told her about you yeah. guys. I didn't think she would actually ever do that. And she's like, oh, I ordered from this company. They picked things out for me. It fits perfectly. And I'm like, yeah. are you talking about Stitch Fix? And I was genuinely surprised that she found out about it on her own, went forward, bought it, worked with a stylist and got her box. And it just made me think about how many opportunities are opening up with this new, you know, group of people who never were probably comfortable with buying online before, but now they've kind of been forced to it and it's now becoming normal for them. Yeah. I I love that story. That's, um, that's wonderful. I think, I think what's interesting too, is that uh, folks who Folks, folks like folks like your mom or my mom, where they're not actually as used to buying online, they're they're more used to going into a store, right? So they're actually mm-hmm. more used to being able to talk to someone. Yeah. Whereas like my friends, they're like, I don't want to talk to a human being. Like, just, yeah, you know, don't like, call me. Just don't look at me. me. Like, yeah, don't me. leave a voicemail. That doesn't work, right? Yep. Um, but but the the folks who are trying something online, like they're used to a store. And mm-hmm. Stitch Fix, like the the gap, right, between some of these department stores where you do have a person and the there are the department store's online presence is is quite uncomfortable, right? So if you have mm-hmm. Stitch Fix, it's like you don't like obviously you're not in the store, but you get to try things. You get to sort of work with a person. You get someone who's actually there to help you. Yeah. So I think in some sense it's actually a more a more natural entry point, um, yep. especially if folks aren't used to like the the more um, uh, the current paradigm of of shopping. Yeah. How would you advise a company to be able to not only continue to focus on you know their traditional consumers that they're used to? but also lean into that new group of people because it seems like you would have to have very different messaging. I mean, like you were just mentioning, like some people like myself and you, like just mm-hmm. text me, do not leave me a voicemail. Yeah. Don't try and call me, I'll decline it. 
Yeah. Whereas, you know, this group, you have to have a whole different mentality. Your customer service team, it probably needs to start calling people and, you know, doing things very different. Like, how would you advise a company thinking about this who wants to maybe connect with both both of them, their current customers and the new ones who are now coming on the market? Yeah, I think I think that's a great question. So the way that I would think about this, like, uh, is you first off, I mean, you have to come up, let's, let's, let's take the messaging example, right? Like you mm-hmm. want to think about what are the different messages that are going to be resonating with, with consumers, right? Yep. And then the second is how do you get the right message to that consumer, right? Yep. So in terms of like what will resonate, I, I, I firmly believe like there's a very interesting um, sort of opportunity for interaction between design and data science and, and user research and, and things like that. Um, so mm-hmm. like data science can contribute, but ultimately the messaging strategy is one that is like the overall messaging strategy, like what, what is the, like you can try many different variants, but the overall strategy is one that is sort of a judgment call, right? Yep. And then machine learning is wonderful for being able to say like, given this message, like how do I, how, or given this client, how do, how do I make it so that the client can see the, the most compelling one? And yep. really understand on their terms what it is that that we can offer. So I would say this is this is an area where you where you definitely need both art and science um, because like messaging is so incredibly important and strategic. So it's working with the marketing team, it's working with the design team, and then the data scientists can really help figure out like where should that message be delivered, how should it be delivered, and what is the like what is the right way um, to mm-hmm. to make it land with the client. Oh, that's great. So we're putting together this um, end of year commerce article about 2021 trends. Mm-hmm. And this is one thing that we're talking on talking about is how much the over 55 demographics spend and they spend twice as much as millennials. Mm-hmm. And I think I saw, let's see, 10,000 baby boomers are going to turn 65 every day until 2030. Oh, wow. Okay. And then by 2050, the over 60s will account for 20% of all people globally. Yeah. So when I start seeing these stats, I'm like, whoa, more people need to focus on this demographic. Oh, and yeah. then the other one, the 50 and older crowd has a lot of spending power. And if you put it in terms of GDP, it would be the third largest in the world. So oh, wow. U- okay. yep, US is 21 trillion, China's 14 trillion, and then Japan is 5 trillion. And this yeah. group of people, they spend 7.6 trillion in 2018. So to me, I'm just like seeing all these opportunities that are being missed right now. I'm like, yeah. what should people be doing? Yeah, no, I think, I mean, I think, I think this is a wonderful group of folks. And I, I agree. I think like within, within the tech industry, I would just say, especially like mm-hmm. um, there, there does tend to be a focus more on, on millennials and, and things like that. Um, I yeah. think the great thing about Stitch Fix is that we are like, and, and oftentimes I think some brands they'll sit there and they'll say like, oh, like our, our target demographic, she is between 25 and 39. And after that, like, she's not us. Right. Yeah. Um, I think with Stitch Fix, right. We're able to say, you know what, like, we're going to, we're not, we're not going to categorize you into one group or another. We're going to serve you where you are. And mm-hmm. with personalization, we are able to like, we, we, I completely uh, agree with the stats or that the information that I have on how um, that generation of clients uh, sort of interact with Stitch Fix is very, very consistent with some of the numbers that you had described. So it's, it's yeah. a, it's a really wonderful group of people who are thinking about sort of their personal style. Um, and I do agree. It is, it, it's folks who I think tend to be served a little bit differently mm-hmm. and it much, much like at, really at, at the retail industry's loss. Yep. Yeah, I agree. How would you go about getting the right data to then be able to craft a personal message to them? I mean, especially if you're, mm-hmm. I mean, for Stitch Fix, it does feel a little bit easier because you can ask things like age and, mm-hmm. you know, a bunch of other questions and they're like, well, it's just, they're styling me. But for a lot of other brands, if you were to ask age, they'd be like, what? Like, how <laughs> would you advise other companies to 
be able to get enough information to then yeah. be able to personalize a message like that? Yeah. I mean, I think that there's a couple of different ways to do it. Like one could, and and, and a lot of it really is, is around the, the marketing and design toolkit. Right. Because ultimately, when you're coming up with messaging, like you don't want to say like, OK, this is the messaging for for for, for folks who are, are 50. Right. Because yep. like it might be like I'm, I'm an old soul. So maybe I'll just really respond to that myself. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Like I, I would I would say a lot of it has to do with like a lot of this is just a strategic question. Right. So data science can play can play some role where it's like, OK, based on what we know, people tend to respond to X, Y and Z. But really, like if you want to be looking forward, it's less like what have people responded to in the past, right? You definitely want to take that into account, but it's more like where is like where are things going in the future, especially at a time when things are when things are changing so rapidly. Yep. Yeah. That's why I'm also excited about being able to ingest the sentences that people are, you know, asking the customer mm-hmm. service reps or putting in the search bar, because I think that alone could kind of tell you who someone is just based on how oh, they're absolutely. typing something. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. I agree. I think, um, yeah, I think, I think that the, the, the notion of being able to have more conversations with people is, is something that I think is incredibly exciting and it, and it does allow for a level of, I would say flexibility of expression, um, Mm -hmm. especially once computers can really, uh, respond to that. Yep. When thinking about building up a data science team, Mm -hmm. what are your first steps? Like, how would you tell a brand to think about it? Um, to be able to build it up in an efficient manner where it's answering the right questions, you have the right goals in mind. Because yeah. when I think about data science, I mean, from different companies I've worked at, some people are called data scientists when they're really kind of like a BI team. Yeah, and then you have yeah. engineers who are called data scientists. And then you have like marketers who are also data scientists. So yeah. like, how do you think about that? It's it's certainly become a loaded term. And it's it's funny because in recruiting, it can be incredibly frustrating. <laughs> like, well, yeah. this LinkedIn search is not very helpful. Yeah. Um, I think in terms of, yeah, so that's, really, that's, that's the first thing that I would say is if people are thinking about like, what is, I need to build out a data science team, like uh, searching on the term data scientist is, is probably not going to um, be the most efficient way to get there. I yeah. think the, probably the step one Right, that I would advise people to do is to really think about what what role do you want data science to play, and where are the areas that you see as like high high value, right? And this yeah. can be a little bit of a hard question because, like, in, in the same way that like I don't I'm not 100 percent familiar with like a, a merchant's sort of toolkit or a designer's toolkit. Like, if I if I as a data scientist look at a problem, I can be like, oh, like this is something that can be very easily solved with machine learning, right? And mm-hmm. it's hard for it's hard for folks who don't have that background to know that. But really thinking about like what is the what is the strategic problem that people are trying to solve and like with data science I'm 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 very supportive of making it like a core like figuring out how to have in-house data scientists focus mm-hmm. on like the core problems of the company right so it's like what are the core problems of the company what role would you want data scientists to play within that like I think one of the one of the things that that's wonderful about Stitch Fix is that data scientists are really expected to take a leadership role. And this can be incredibly exciting for, for some folks, and it can be just not really interesting to others, right? Yep. So figuring out like, okay, if you want data scientists to play a strategic role, like A, like what is the, what's like the core of your company? B, like, can you hire people who are sort of inclined to, to really step up and to contribute to that strategy, right? Mm-hmm. And then C, like, how do you set them up for success? I think, and, and when I've talked to companies, like some people will say, you know what, like we're really about logistics, Right. And it's like, oh, actually, there's there's a subset of of data science. Right. Um, where they're really thinking about operations research. They're really thinking about warehouse efficiency, supply chain and things like that. And, and if people are really thinking about sort of demand forecasting and logistics and, and fulfillment, like that's a great tack to go yep. for Stitch Fix. Right. Like a lot of it is around like the core 
with the, 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 the warehouse and the fulfillment side of things, like those folks are doing wonderful work and it's all in service of like a very specific type of client experience or being able to provision a specific type of client experience. So we have folks who are working on the, on the warehouse side of things, but then we also have folks who are, who are really thinking about like, how do you style, how do, how do you work with a stylist to, to sort of help people find what, what will, what will really help them or what will really bring them joy? I got it. So, I mean, if a company doesn't really, I mean, they know some of their problems and they know their operations, Mm -hmm. but if they don't know data science, like how would they know what it can solve or how would you recommend, like, should they go and, you know, talk with a company or a mentor Mm -hmm. or advisor who kind of understands that area to do just what you just did with me of like, oh, of course you can put it in logistics and you can put it on, you know, your website or here. Like, how would you tell someone to move forward if they don't know what they don't know? Yeah. So, I, so if, if you tell me what, what is most important to your business, then I can help you figure out like what, what are the data science opportunities there. And sometimes like there's not necessarily uh, like data scientists may not be the most important um, sort of input to that, mm-hmm. um, at which point then like there might be alternative areas to invest. Yep. So what kind of skills are you, would you be looking for when you're hiring a data scientist team? Like, or what are some maybe emerging skills mm-hmm. too that you're like, we weren't looking for this three years ago, but now mm. it's something that's very much in demand. Yeah, that's a great question. So I would say the skill that seems to be more and more in demand, and this is something that um, I think from the early days, Stitch Fix had, had good intuition that this was important, is around problem framing, right? Mm-hmm. So like we, like a data scientist, we need them to have a, have a good understanding of statistics, um, oftentimes machine learning, like computer programming, sometimes software engineering, right? Yep. But really the, the the core thing that we think about is like, can they frame a problem? And and can they get like, how, how do they think about problem framing, mm-hmm. right? Because what will often happen, and this is, uh, this is a pattern that I've seen um, in other places is people will very valiantly answer the wrong question, yep. right? And it's not their fault that they're answering the wrong question. It's just the wrong question was asked. Mm-hmm. So what we really encourage folks to do and what I think the most um, effective data scientists do and when they're empowered to do so is what if people pose sort of a, a problem to solve, it's actually okay to say like, okay, like let's take a step back. Let's, let's, let's dig into this a little bit and yep. figure out like, is this, is this posed in a way that um, can lend itself to the full suite of potential solutions? Got it. So if you're interviewing someone, how can you test that when you don't have much time with them? Like what kind of mm-hmm. questions can you ask to see, are you able to actually, you know, ask the right questions to figure mm-hmm. out what the problem is without going down the wrong path right off from the start? Yeah, that's a great question. So oftentimes um, there's two ways to do that, right? So one is to say like, okay, tell me about a time when you've when, when someone has posed a very vague business problem and how did you think about sort of refining what it was? Right. Yeah. So I think that I think that that's a that's one angle. Um, and then another angle that I will uh, bring to the table is, you know, I'm thinking about this type of problem. How would you how would you help me? Like, how would, how would you think about it? Right. And just really making it into a discussion, um, mm-hmm. because what you're really looking to assess is how do people think? And I, I will say, like, interviews are not when you only have 45 minutes with someone or you have six people with 45 minutes each with someone like you don't get nearly as much data as you'd ever want to. Mm-hmm. So when I think about it, I want to, yeah, like I, I just want to have a conversation and, and see how people think and like wh- what connections do they make? Like, how do they, like if something is, if something is framed in a way that merits revision, like how do they go about figuring out what that revision might be? Right. So in an industry that's changing so quickly, how are you staying on top of new trends and tech? Like, are you subscribing to a bunch of newsletters? Are you listening to podcasts? Like, what do you do to stay on top of the data science field? Yeah, I think that's it. I think that that's a great question. Um, I do subscribe to newsletters. I actually, there's a couple of blogs that I really like as well. 
uh, Andrew Gelman is a is a professor, I believe, at Columbia, um, and he has some wonderful um, he has some wonderful work. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I would say I would say that a lot of it. Um, Susan Athey is actually another researcher at Stanford who I think is absolutely wonderful. She um, thinks about causality. So this is like what is what 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 is what is what actually causes another thing, mm-hmm. um, and that's a, and, and she thinks about machine learning techniques that can are one of the areas of her research is thinking about how machine learning can contribute to that field. So I think I, I, I personally like to stay closer to the um, to, to the to some professors that I particularly admire. Yep. And then also like the, the great thing about Stitch Fix is that everyone has a different set of, of, of passions and interests, we'll say, as well as a different background. So when people are coming across a lot of different, um, a lot of different methods or papers, um, there's, there's just that opportunity. Like there's, there's a wealth of different conversations going on. So that's another great way to, to stay um, on top of things. Yeah, I've, I found it really helpful when I dive into certain trends. Like every week I'll pick a new piece of tech or a new trend or something just to see what it's about. Mm -hmm. And then I start to realize how many new things I'm being introduced to and new people on Twitter that I'm following and Mm -hmm. new ways to solve problems like at a media company with podcasts where I'm like, well, I never thought about, you know, using that. Mm -hmm. But now that I've read about it, I can think of a thousand ways to maybe implement it or I have a whole new model in place that our business model idea based on just very things that are not part of maybe the media industry or something. Exactly. Exactly. Like I love, I love finding metaphors in one area that, um, that tend to work in another. Like, I think that that, like being able to abstract between things is, is such a source of insight. I agree with that. Yeah. So where do you see the future of data science in e-commerce headed? Like, where do you, how do you see that experience uh, playing out in the next like five years or so? What does it look like or what does it feel like? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I mean, I think that the future of the future of e-commerce is really one where you have a more personalized experience, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that um, as as we've discussed, like data science is an incredibly important input to that um, in, in being able to really fulfill on that promise. I think that data science can also help retailers make better decisions. <laughs> yeah. So I think, yeah, like I, I see, I see, I see a lot of promising um, growth on that on that front. I think for retailers who are particularly um, sort of fulfillment or operationally focused, like there's some really wonderful, like I think Amazon is really leading the way in in the direction that 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 side of things can go. Mm -hmm. I I see a lot of companies probably looking to this field, especially after, you know, all their models and plans started breaking Mm -hmm. this past year, trying to figure out, well, can I get ahead of this next time? Like there's going to be something, there's going to be a next time of something. And how can I get ahead of that and start seeing the early indicators and maybe be able to be more agile with adjusting forecasts and supply chain Mm -hmm. and, you know, Mm -hmm. all of that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that that level of agility is, is something that I'm very proud of that Stitch Fix has, right. Mm -hmm. And part of it is because we're able to use, to use data science, not only it's like, okay, we can update this model um, relatively quickly, right. Compared to, compared to others, or we can figure out how to take into account the past, but not too much. Um, but then also in the ability to um, sort of help help executives think through different scenarios, right? Mm-hmm. Because ultimately we can use data to do some things, but like we just need to, like we need executive input on other things. Yeah. So I always love a good data story. So are, are there any stories that come to mind that either the data showed something that was wrong or it was funny, like anything, any of your favorite data stories that you think about? From time to time? <laughs> yeah, I think that's a great question. So the, the, the one that I find to be quite enduring is, so we have, we have this notion of latent style, right? And mm-hmm. this is rather than saying like, oh, here's the lunch table I sat at in high school. It's where within sort of the broader realm of style do you sit? 
And um, one of the things that um, one of the early hypotheses was like, okay, we need to like, we have this sense of, of the types of clothes that people will like, right? And we can show pictures of them, but we should figure out how to articulate this to a stylist. So there was, yep. there was some work done to say like, hey, um, here's a set of clothes and here's another set of clothes, like name them, right? So you could be like, oh, like this is casual and preppy or like this is boho and edgy or something like that, right? And yep. so there was, there was um, a lot of, a lot of, like, we basically asked people to annotate collections of clothing um, based on how they would describe that aesthetic. And what was, what was kind of wonderful in a sense was all of the, uh, there, there, there wasn't really that much consistency <laughs> between what people were saying. Right. And, oh. and, and I think, I think sometimes people are kind of like, oh, this is a problem. I was like, no, this is great guys. Like, this is actually yeah. great because it, it proves that there's things that are there that are like beyond categorization. Right. And I, I view self-expression and style as one of them. So ultimately when it was like, okay, now we need to express like a client style to a, a stylist. Right. A lot of it was just like, let's just show examples and pictures because we don't have yeah. the words for it. Right. <laughs> that, like I, th I thought great. that that was wonderful. And it really, in my mind, it really spoke to the, the, the value that Stitch Fix's approach brings to e-commerce. Yeah, that's cool. So that definitely shows that uh, consumers on your side definitely can't be used from a UGC annotation, label our data set type of aspect because they're all going to come back with, this is preppy. Oh no, this is boho. Oh no, this is, you know, athleisure and it wouldn't really work for you guys. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's, I think that there's, it, it does become interesting, right? Because like, if you have, if you have something that is, is, is kind of totally fashion forward, right. And kind of wild, right. Then, then it's certainly, nobody would certainly say like, oh, it's classic. So there might be like yeah. a cloud around things, but, um, it definitely does. Uh, it definitely does speak to like, where, where is it that people could be most effective versus, um, pictures versus something else. I love that. All right, Stephanie. Well, this has been a really fun interview. Yeah. We'll have to have you back for round two. Cause I feel like we have a lot of things we could keep talking about, but until next time. All right. Thank you. This was great. That was Stephanie Yee, VP of Data Science at Stitch Fix, in conversation with Stephanie Postles from Up Next in Commerce. If you like this episode and want to hear more from commerce leaders on the front lines of digital innovation, subscribe to Up Next in Commerce wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Michael Rebo from Salesforce Studios and your host of Blazing Trails. Thanks for listening today, and I'll catch you back here next week. <laughs>